0: Opens the door. Nuh-uh. For a native New Yorker. Here I go. Oh.
1: <laughs> that was something that happened.
0: Alright, we're done here.
1: <laughs> I was moved.
0: <laughs> yeah, you just shit yourself. Your bowels move. If you don't know what that is, I don't know. Look it up. <laughs> This is basic smitches. <laughs>
1: <Bye>. Hi. <laughs> the episode where we just laugh at ourselves for the next 25. We're minutes. drinking
0: sambuca now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We drank
0: sambuca. Tara brought these delicious macarons that were coffee flavored. So we had that. We had our sugar.
1: Yes. Great Lakes Baking Company, Hudson, Ohio. Check Sponsor us. <laughs> Sponsor us, Karina. Woo. But check them out. Yeah.
0: I really am not looking forward to listening back to me singing that fucking lips song. It's a good thing you're the editor. It sure is, but now I'm like, how the fuck am I gonna? Can't cut that now.
1: It's gonna be great. I thought it was amusing. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Today we are discussing chapter fourteen of Prison. No, I keep
1: doing that. This is chapter fourteen of Goblet of Fire. Yeah, it's that the
0: book. Unforgivable, the unforgivable curses. curses.
1: First, real quick, just want to let you know this is not shocking. Chapter 13, titled Mad Eye Moody, Uh he is the winner of the (laughs) chapter.
0: (laughs) So, is it Mad Eye Moody or is it Barty Cross Jr.? I mean,
1: technically, it's Barty Cross Jr.
0: So, he's the winner.
1: Yeah, Barty Cross Jr. is the winner.
0: Wow. Yeah,
1: here's the deal, guys. There are times that will happen that the winner of the chapter will be not a good guy,
0: but never Umbridge.
1: But Umbridge will never Never win a chapter. She is the worst. However, there are going to be times where I think that there will be bad guys winning the chapter. That doesn't mean that they're great. That just means they had the most successful time in that chapter. And you cannot argue how successful that experiment was. I was impressed. Oh, and the loser of the chapter is Draco.
0: Oh, Oh. nice.
1: Oh, I know. Everyone's shocked. Draco's a terrible bully and a fucking idiot. And here's the thing. He actually, like, had a point earlier in the he chapter. He made a point. And then he ruined it by being himself, because he is the worst.
0: The moral of the story is don't be yourself.
1: No, only if you're a douchebag, don't be yourself. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good. I wrote a thing.
1: You did. <clears throat> I would like to read the thing.
0: <laughs> I love the way that you cleared your throat for that. It was really nice. Okay. You, she flipped her hair. It did. Way.
1: A thing for Tara. Chapter 14, The Unforgivable Curses. It's time for data analysis class! The students sit in the classroom, brimming with anticipation of what Professor Moody will be teaching them. With great insight and frankness, Moody...
0: (laughs) That's my line.
1: (laughs) With great insight and frankness, Moody takes roll call, then explains that while Lupin did a great job teaching them about dark creatures, they have no experience on curses, so first class of the semester and we're already learning about the three unforgivable curses. And they are Imperious, the Controlling Curse, Cruciatus, the Torturing Curse, and worst of all, when people say F you or what the F or Friggles or whatever curse they use instead of just saying fuck. Just say fuck. Just kidding, it's a a cadaver. Moody does all three to some spiders. Aragog is quaking. Neville reacts particularly sensitively to Cruciatus, which the class is a bit surprised that he was so aware of. Likewise, Harry has a startled reaction to Avada Kedavra. Gee, could this have something to do with their respective parents? After class, Neville is seen staring out the window, trapped in thought. The trio approach him, and Moody intervenes and offers to make Neville some tea. Later in the common room, Harry and Ron are fucking up their divination homework, or are they? Neville is much more calm in reading a book Moody gave him, recommended by Quinn Pomfrey, who says he's good at herbology. It's actually... Um, ah! Professor fuck! Pratt. I did it
0: again. Professor Sprout.
1: Uh, but Quinn Pomfrey also exists, just They're reminder. They're basically
0: the same. Have She's... you ever seen them in the same room together? No. Well... <laughs> I think it solved a mystery.
1: <laughs> the twins are plotting something. Hermione glides into the common room a bit later. Beaming with pride, announcing the formulation of a new school club, SPEW, the Society for the Promotion of Elfish Welfare. While well, I appreciate her ambition, after all those hours spent in the library doing research, you'd think she'd have done some research on Robert's Rules of Order, because she just appoints Ron and Harry as secretary before they could even agree to join. Oh,
0: secretary and treasurer, sorry
1: about yes. that. Uh, yes, as secretary and treasurer, or... Brother, treasurer, and secretary, and then Quinn Hedwig arrives finally with a response from Sirius, who basically says, "OMG, it's another side! I'm coming up there." Harry blames himself for this, worried that he's going to get caught, and tells Hedwig that she ain't getting no croissant, which is honestly so rude. Yeah, (laughs) a little vampin'. Ooh, ooh, ooh. (laughs) I want to be a mass singer, and I want to be Hedwig on the mass singer. (laughs) Oh, this past season there was the snow owls what yes yeah there were two
0: it? people that i've never heard of in my fucking were life were they good did they sing
1: like wendy williams no they,
0: they, they were uh clint black and his wife some like country singer yeah. that i was like oh my god what if it's like oh my god what are the names uh vince not vince neal i don't know the uh, there I there was one nervous. really guess that I was like it's probably them and then it wasn't I was like I don't know who these people are. This season there have been a lot of people who were not very familiar to me. The serpent has been unmasked so I now know that I'm Dr. Elvis Francois. <laughs> Spoiler alert this is coming out in like two months so if you haven't watched by now sorry get your shit together. So I'm Dr. Elvis Francois and Tara is Ryan Bergeron.
1: No, it was I'm
0: Tom Bergeron.
1: I'm... Tom Bergeron. I'm... <laughs> that is staying in. <laughs> <Aww>.
0: That's awesome.
1: <laughs> Anyone who knows me and Ryan is like.
0: Ryan, did you know that you were actually the taco and the mask
1: singer? That
0: really <laughs> happened. <laughs> Tara is very jealous. <laughs>
1: So let's dig into it, shall we? Oh, the unforgivable curses.
0: Okay. (laughs) So at the beginning, we learned that Neville was in detention with Snape. Can we talk about how actually cruel this is? He is disemboweling toads, and he has a pet toad. I
1: know. Also, it's the first day... I'm assuming that when we're saying that he has melted his sixth cauldron, that means in the last four years, and not. In I would assume
0: the same thing, because like otherwise, <laughs> did you come prepared? Dan, like, otherwise, well,
1: Neville, you could maybe I stop what being fuck up. No. So. <laughs> <laughs> the devil comes
0: into class like <laughs> all the cauldron stuff. So he's like, I came prepared this year, motherfucker. And Snape's like,
1: Oh, really? Okay, okay. Well, today
0: we're going to be doing a very nice potion, and it, it melts
1: cauldron if you fuck it up.
0: <laughs> That's probably what happened. It was like, detention. You lost all your cauldrons.
1: <laughs> He's like,
0: I had six and now I have zero. <laughs> yeah. And now I got to pull the buttholes out of all these uh... toes.
1: No, but it's awful that he does that to him because yeah. of course he does because Snape is fucking terrible. I haven't mentioned yes. that in at least an episode. You
0: haven't mentioned it this entire season yet, <laughs> well, so Well, I haven't had a
1: reason to call him terrible yet. Yeah. I mean, there's always a reason, yeah. but it's not on the page at this time. Oh, at this moment,
0: speaking of Snape, he also mentions how, you know, he didn't like any of the other professors, but he is particularly not a fan of Moody, which is very interesting because there was definitely this huge backstory with Lupin and the last book.
1: This is different though. Harry seems to believe that Snape is avoiding Moody and he's a little, a, little, a scared is what I was going to say. A scared! He's a little scared! Oh, Snape's
0: scared!
1: <laughs> he's like wary of Moody Now, he has a history with Lupin. If we look at the prior Defenses of the Dark Arts professors that we've seen, Lockhart was a fucking piece of shit and terrible. Fine,
0: agreed with Snape.
1: Yeah, fine. Just let Snape teach both classes because this guy sucks. And then we didn't really see that Quirrell did any real teaching. Everything was very basic with him. And also, Dumbledore tells Snape to be wary of Quirrell anyway, to keep an eye on him. So far, Snape's really had reasons to feel these ways. I mean, obviously everything against Lupin was personal, not entirely unfounded. But this is different, I think, because Harry is observing that it feels like he's afraid of Moody. Mm -hmm. And if Snape knew that it was actually Barty Crouch Jr., I wonder how he would react to him.
0: Yeah, that would be pretty interesting. Especially Um, because the last chapter ends with (laughs) McGuff being like, you need to tell the head of house. And he's like, oh, Snape? Okay, I've been meaning to talk that motherfucker. So let's go, bitch. Right.
1: This is kind of the beginning of when you go back after reading the books where you see Snape's position with Voldemort. Because at the end when Voldemort says in the graveyard, my most devoted Death Eater is still at Hogwarts. And you are wondering, is that Barty Crouch Jr. or is that Snape? Mm, yeah. It's an interesting... God, I can't wait to talk about that. But I'm kind of seeing it, though. Either way, Snape has every reason to feel wary of this guy because Snape yeah. was a Death Eater... Snape isn't necessarily wanting the world to know he was a Death Eater, and this guy put Death Eater as an Azkaban.
0: Yeah, I think the way that I interpreted it is him Uh. hating Moody. Like you said, this is through the lens of Harry's eye. He's seen how things have gone from year to year. It's always that he hates whoever is the data professor role. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, that's a good point that it's probably a little more skewed to, like, fear or, like, um, trepidation or something like that. Yeah, it's definitely pretty interesting considering, you know, Snape's... Uh. Journey and how we've seen him, especially in the last book. So,
1: yeah, so it's time to learn it's about It's time these. to
0: learn. So, we go into the classroom <laughs> again. Moody just being so fucking believable, knowing these details again. Brady Carr Jr. did his fucking research, he mentions Lupin and kind of the curricula. So this was the first that.
1: This is literally the first time I thought about the defense against the dark arts curriculum, because in the next book, that pink bitch is going to be like, "Oh, all of your professors were terrible except for your first one, and she says shitty things about Lupin or whatever. I guess I'm realizing that there's a process to this, and the third year is dark creatures, and it's not just that Lupin was teaching dark creatures because that's what he wanted. Yeah. To- that's I a guess good point. That, that that must be what it is. Who the fuck knows what Lockshart was doing? I, said that on I mean
0: he was doing things uh, that's his She's name She's the
1: fucking worst. Did on purpose. Right. He's talking <laughs> about curses and he was like you're behind on curses. So was that something that's supposed to be like an overview maybe in their second year?
0: So based or? on what the pink core says, my thought is that first year and it makes more sense for first year <laughs> to be just kind of like by the book. Mm-hmm. No real practice or anything. We had talked a few episodes ago about, like, how do the Weasley boys, the younger generation, not know about the Dark Mark? Mm -hmm. So I almost feel like it would have happened in Defense Against the Dark Arts first year. But then that definitely isn't the case because they would have learned it from Quirrell. Unless Ron has fallen asleep in class. But so. then
1: Harry would have known what it was. Because yeah.
0: That's just one thought I had. Or maybe, you know, it was something at the very end of the class and fucking Quirrell had died by that point. I don't know. He might have died after final... Whatever. Maybe there's a reason. That's just kind of like a sidestep that I thought of. I'm assuming, yes, that Quirrell was more by the book. Locke just kind of did things by however he wanted to, clearly, because he is an egomaniac.
1: He does do the dueling club. So I've... Felt like maybe he was supposed to be working on defensive magic, which maybe. I feel curses should have maybe been kind of basically covered in oh, that. that's a good point. That.
0: That's possible too. I think maybe going off of that, let's say that Draco go, or someone goes to Snape knowing that Snape is well-versed in dark arts and says, hey, this motherfucker isn't teaching us what we're supposed to be. Can you do something about it? Then maybe Snape goes to Dumbledore or maybe goes to Lockshart and says something along the lines of, you know, we really should be teaching curses. Why don't we do a dueling club? And then, of course, Lockshart is like, fuck yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. More time for me. More people to see my f- stupid face. <laughs> and so that's how it happens. And at the same time, in the classroom, he's still just doing whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah, because
1: the only lesson we really see him do is when he fucks up everything with the Pixies. Everything else is just all about reading his books and stuff. I don't think that we get a clear indication of what the first two professors are supposed to do. It makes the most sense to me that the first year would be an overview. But I feel like the second year would be a good year for defensive magic. And
0: protection and things like that. And, like, because then if we look forward to the next, since Pink Bitch takes the same approach as, let's say, Quirrell did... I was going to say Quidditch, because Quidditch rounds to Pink Pinkwich. This is, like, a good opportunity, then, for them to do Dumbledore's army and learn a little bit more about, like, Expelliarmus and things like that, which may have also been covered in that class.
1: I think that the fifth year probably had a different originally, like, if we're looking at the trajectory of the way classes move, I'm sure that there was a certain type of plan for fifth year, but remember bringing the Ministry in, bringing Dolores Umbergen. Yeah, oh, in. of course. I think that whatever is on that path is being completely wiped out because now we have Pink Bitch there. Yeah. Because she starts even at the beginning of Hogwarts in the fifth year with, we need to get back to Big Six. So I think at that point, their entire education is just all fucking wonky, which of course it is. And it has been for the last, what, like 12 years because the position is cursed. Yeah. And you can't keep a professor in the spot.
0: That makes me want to know, like, who were the previous five professors? And, like, what even happens after?
1: I wonder who Tom Riddle and Hagrid had for Defense Against the Darkers.
0: Don't they say? Because it wasn't
1: Dumbledore. They may have.
0: I feel like they said, but whatever. We're, th- this it's, could be its own episode, too. Right? This is you know?
1: super fun, though, because either way, Moody's just like... Bitch, here we go. Yeah,
0: he is, like, on top of it. I feel like he does such a fucking good job of teaching. Of course, he does do these very... Unforgivable. <laughs> yeah. He does the fucking unforgivable curses in front of a whole bunch of kids.
1: I mean, I hope he doesn't do it with like the first years. That's literally all I'm asking.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because Fred and George even say like, oh wow, he knows his stuff. What is, What are they learning in years? I mean, six? I'm
1: assuming that if Harry's class learns it and everyone knows the whole process is kind of all funky, I would assume that he would probably teach them the same thing. Like, this is the first class. Well, or, yeah. But so... who knows? Maybe they already kind of know that stuff and so Moody's showing them other curses. He's showing them. I
0: think so. Like, let's say that the whoever the twins had in their second year, because we the, don't we, know who we that established is. that the, that's the curses. Yeah, we don't know who it is. So let's say that that person actually did teach them the curses. I mean, Listen, maybe it's
1: probably just something in a textbook, and it's like an unspoken rule that you just, you know, you look Sorry. that over. Okay. Oh,
0: I grazed her foot
1: with mine.
0: <laughs> Are you sure we aren't fucking, Ashley? Are you sure? She's
1: sure, because she, we're not. You you aren't looking at this hot footsie action, though. So. <laughs> you know how when you, even when you're in high school, your freshman year, you learn this type of literature in English, and then for us... I don't remember what we did our freshman year, but our sophomore year, we focused on a certain time period of literature. Mm -hmm. And whatever, you know, I mean, every school's kind of got their own thing going on. So I wonder what the trajectory looks like For all the classes, not just Defense Against the Dark Arts, but I think that that's probably the class we're the most invested in because of the change of professors every year. Yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah, I mean, it would be really, really cool to see, like, what they learn throughout the years. Versus what they're supposed to learn throughout the the years. Yeah. I mean, we already established, you like, it's garbage anyways because, I mean, look at, like, the Trani stuff. Going in immediately and learning about tea leaves, perhaps even like what they learned at the beginning of this year with like the planets and stuff. That might have been a better thing to, to begin with. So, calm the fuck down.
1: He's um, talking to me, not the cats. Yeah,
0: she's going crazy. She's she's ripping my freaking house apart. <laughs> Is definitely interesting considering that Moody really is doing such a good job right
1: now. Again, I think that there is, I said this in the last episode, there's something more to Barty Crouch Jr. than this right-hand man of Voldemort. He is so smart and so capable. And his reasoning behind teaching students this information is fascinating. Maybe that is exactly what Moody would do. And in order to be believable as Moody, it could be as simple as that. And yeah, it might work against your master in the long run, but Professor Moody, the real Mad-Eye Moody, would work them into the ground to get them to learn this stuff.
0: After this his introductions and everything, there's a lot of like little nuances in terms of like him seeing things through the back of his head, whatnot. But then they get to the actual curses. First one is Imperius.
1: Ron tells us about it. Yes.
0: And that is the controlling curse. Yeah. He controls the spider.
1: I like the throwbacks to Ron being like, "Nah, fucking spiders again." He just comes right out and says, "I'm gonna teach you how to fight this thing that was happening during the Wizarding World War. Death Eaters were controlling everyone else. I'm gonna teach you, 14-year-olds, how to fight that."
0: Yeah, and first having just like show you what they are too. Yeah. Nothing hugely like plot-wise. Is important there but then the next one being neville and him raising his hand and knowing what the next one is
1: it's important just to note that neville doesn't and you know harry's even there kind of musing on that, that neville doesn't actively volunteer to speak in class Often, And yeah. this is a huge thing for him as we learn more about Neville's story and why on earth he would fucking know about the Cruciatus yeah. Curse.
0: It's the first mention or allusion or anything to this storyline of Neville's, yeah. I think.
1: Up to this point, Neville's a fun little side character that you're like, Aw, yeah, poor guy who keeps messing up. It's really like he's telling so nice no, whatever.
0: that he does step up here. I think it's very out of the norm even for the reader.
1: It's it's important, and I think that that choice is really telling.
0: And it shows like the bravery that he has as a Gryffindor too, to be able to step up when it's such a big and tragic part of his story too.
1: The way that it's described in the book is really uncomfortable, and even if I didn't have the history that Neville has, it's really disturbing. At once, the spider's legs bent upon its body. It rolled over and began to switch horribly, rocking from side to side. No sound came from it, but Harry was sure that if it could have given voice, it would have been screaming. Moody did not remove his wand, and the spider started to shudder and jerk more violently. I mean, it sounds like torture, which mm-hmm. is what it is. Yeah having it described that way
0: oof the difference between the first and the second curse because when imperious is originally done like students are laughing and stuff and moody's like what the fuck are you laughing for in the book they do do it and then moody kind of plays around with it and then he gets more serious about oh maybe i should have him throw himself out the window or drown himself
1: that scene in the movie is everyone laughing and then him being like oh yeah okay well this is more this. serious
0: than you think it is holy shit yeah. Take this shit seriously. It is
1: one of the most well-done scenes in the entire Mm -hmm. movie.
0: I mean, obviously we're not in the movie yet. But I think because he starts by playing around with all the students. Like, the spider goes from person to person to person and stuff. And it's like, oh, ha ha ha. And then it's like, hang on, guys. Like, this is more than just that. Like, I'm controlling this thing that taking away its free will. It's pretty interesting. The progression from the first two curses. And then, of course, we get to the third curse hermione i believe is the one who says what it is yeah
1: um hermione's hand shook slightly as for the third time she raised into the air yes said moody looking at her about a kedavra, hermione whispered ah said moody another slight smile twisting on his lopsided mouth yes the last and worst about a kedavra the killing curse which is always fascinating to me that they think of being killed as the worst thing.
0: When you're dead, you're dead. The
1: underlying theme for this whole series is that there are worse things than death. Yeah, absolutely. And yet we still hold Avada cadaver as he's like, it's the last and worst, you know? So going back, I think that's something that Mad-Eye Moody wouldn't have said. I because think Because so, Mad-Eye Moody, I think, knows there are things worse than death. Yeah. He is a fucking order forever. He put all these fucking people in Azkaban. He is smart as hell. Barty Crouch who is a minion of Voldemort would absolutely like Voldemort. Think of death as the worst. Yeah, thing.
0: that's really smart. I think. Yeah, I mean, I even think of things like you know, funerals are for the living to say goodbye to their loved one. But when once you're dead, you're dead. You know, your right. your soul or your energy goes wherever. That's pretty interesting to look at it in that way, and maybe show a slight crack in the pretty solid facade that Marty. Oh even yeah, and obviously
1: away. none of these kids are going to catch on to that. I think instinctually people think death is the worst thing.
0: Yeah, I think it definitely like changes as you. Especially when you're a kid.
1: Out of people in that room, I think Harry and Neville especially probably realize death is not the worst thing.
0: Yeah, I think so too. At that age, when you don't have as much life experience, if you're not Harry or Neville, then it does seem a lot scarier. And I mean, like, it's something that grows as you progress and you have more people pass away in your life. I I also
1: think that survival instinct is such a real thing no matter what age you are. But the ultimate choice to not do the worst thing than death doesn't really come from getting an opportunity to think about it. Whether or not we're comparing like something that's worse than death, whatever that is for a person, or not, your instinct is survival. Have you said that in front of Snape? Suspicious. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think think Snape or Dumbledore or even McGonagall, Sprout, Flitwick, Pomfrey, I think that they could have been suspicious of that, especially Dumbledore and Snape, because one, Snape is naturally suspicious and Dumbledore is... Well, he's the fucker who appointed the guy and probably knows Moody really well. I think had he said that in front of them, there would have been suspicion. But in front of children,
0: they won't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing that we're bringing this up now that death is not necessarily the worst thing. Because that makes it a lot easier when people start dying. We have to continue to be funny. So. Mm Mm-hmm. After the triumph. class, there is this little moment where Neville's kind of looking out the window. You get a little mind, bit more mind. of, like, an instinct that there's something more with Neville with why he knew about Cruciatus. I
1: still feel like it was class that, I mean, Hermione is like, stop it. Harry looks at her. It might be in the class. She's looking at Neville. She's not looking at the spider. And that's Hermione's intuition. It's
0: an aside after the class because that's when Moody kind of approaches and says, hey, come back. Let's talk about something. Let's make some tea. Then later, of course, we learn that they have this conversation about Moody knows from Sprout that he's really good at herbology. Which I like. Yeah, I like that a lot too. And then he gives him this book
1: can we go back a little bit and talk about the fact that Moody just right in front of the class is like only one person that survived a vodka Oh
0: yes, there's that too. I think that is Another smart. thing
1: yeah. that you're like, Hmm, interesting choice of words. The fact that he would point that out because I feel like everyone in the room already knows that.
0: Yeah. To
1: me, I feel like it's one of those things we don't talk about, actually. Let's not talk about the time that Harry's parents were murdered in front of him and also they tried to murder him and he lived. Like, maybe not a thing we talk about openly.
0: I think at this school, too, like, it's normal. But yes, if we were in like a mm-hmm. traditional classroom, it's a poor stuff,
1: taste. I them mean...
0: talking about like a <laughs> student's parents dying in front of everybody else. It didn't pop out to me as much simply because I know where we are. And, like, because there is kind of this moment with, like, Neville and his struggle, even though it's not, like, in your face. And we don't know about Neville as much as we know about Harry
1: There's, I mean, there's a lot of darkness around that, too. But I think that, you know, this is Harry's first time... Knowing how his parents died. Literally, knowing. And they go what through the description. Like. Yes. And all of that, and just how dauntling that would be for him. So that's what happened. And I was just there, and he tried to do that to me. Like, this chapter has all of these great revelations. And as people who have already read the books and have been through the story, I think our instinct between the two of us is to follow Neville here. But I think that there's some really important Harry stuff here. Oh, yeah. Harry went through this. Now, that being said, the stuff about Neville, it's really kind of disgusting the way that Moody handles this with Neville because he's not Moody. Barty Crouch Jr. is one of the people who tortured Neville's parents into insanity. So
0: this is the thing in the last episode that you were talking about and like how he handles things and how he goes after Neville and tries to bring him back. That's where I don't completely understand his intention
1: Maybe he sees this kid and he's like, oh, maybe before... This is what Moody would... I mean, maybe before he realized who this kid was and that kind of came to him, then you see this child responding and you're like, oh... I did that. Okay. This is not part of my plan. This is not part of my goal here. So I might as well use what Moody would do. Moody would... Yeah, I think
0: that's more so what it is. Like, this is, of course, in the movie, but (laughs) when they're going down the stairs, Hermione's like, fucking Moody, what the fuck? And then Moody comes up and is like, hey, let's go have some tea. That a little bit more shows, okay, perhaps it really is that. Party Grouch Jr. is... Trying to react in a way that Moody would more and showing some more empathy.
1: I think so. It's
0: more twisted in the way that you said that this is actually one of the people who did torture his parents... This really is, like, the big thing that pops out to me is, like, okay, this is maybe a little bit more out of character for Barty Crouch Jr.
1: I think Barty Crouch Jr. definitely is dialed into Moody very well. Yeah. As a person who knows, and obviously you are this person too, Neville's story and knows Barty Crouch's story and knows what's happening, it's really kind of offensive that he can be viewed as a good, awesome guy by caring for this student using the words of another professor— positive words from Professor Sprout, trying to lure him in because ultimately he does this because he's trying to set Harry up. He's giving Neville this book and interacting with him.
0: So this is all very interesting to me because again we're not the movie. What I think of is in the book it is laid out very neatly in these past two chapters that it's Brady Crouch Jr. setting the scene to get close to Harry. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the movie it's disjointed. In the movie it's almost a little bit harder to follow. The Moody's, Brady Crouch Jr thing because it's not all together it's not as clean and therefore perhaps they make up for it this might be a little bit too kind to the director They make up for it by making Moody seem even more suspicious and more dumb. Here, because it's kind of back-to-back and we're establishing Moody all at once as being this good guy who's trying to get close to Harry, or at least before you know what actually happens, that he's like a good, supportive professor. That is a lot better to me. This is our opportunity to learn about him before we do get into Mm -hmm. Triwizard Tournament. Then that is where I think we do see the shift of Moody being like, I need to help Harry because then we see the like end goal for both Moody and Barty Groucher Jr. After all of this, we do get then these little moments in the common room, which are kind of like set dressing, kind of moving from one scene to another, but there's some interesting stuff.
1: All of the made-up divination stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: this stuff, I really just want to, like, look more into it. Some of it gets really, really obvious. Like, once Hermione comes back, she says something like, Oh, you said that you're going to drown twice this week. Or one of them predicted, like, death by decapitation. Yeah. Okay, clearly that stuff isn't going to work.
1: I love that she's like, wouldn't it be obvious you made these up? And my favorite thing that happens later on is when they turn these in in their class, Trelawney loves them. I think that's
0: hilarious. So that's a little bit strange to me because I think in that, they're just kind of, like, appealing to Trelawney's...
1: And I think she's probably just, like, at least they're doing something. I don't right. know.
0: Maybe it is more that she's entertained. It's interesting because how much truth is there to this?
1: That's like a thing that I'm like, ooh, obviously the stuff about being in danger of Burns, haha, because Scrooge. But losing a treasured possession, I don't think we're close enough to the Triwizard Tournament for that to be Harry losing Ron. Well, yeah. But he will in the future.
0: So losing a treasured possession because of Mercury. Mercury is the planet of communication. So there is that. So some of this, I don't know the houses as much, but why don't you get stabbed in the back by someone you thought was a friend? Yeah, cool, because of Venus in the 12th house.
1: Oh, no, it's Ron who says he'll lose a treasured possession. And then, yes, the whole thing about being stabbed in the back by a friend. That's fascinating.
0: Well, yeah, so Venus is the planet of love. It's the planet of, like, feminine energy. So you would almost kind of think maybe it would be... I mean, she's not in the picture yet, but, like, Lavender Brown comes to mind. As they're going through it, I think it first it starts in good intentions and they're like sort of putting things together that are a little bit more realistic i'm likely to develop a cough owing to the unlucky conjunction of mars and jupiter mars is like men are from mars women are from venus so like i said venus is like the feminine energy mars is the masculine energy mars is very like aggressive but then like i said earlier jupiter is like the very positive planet so Some sort of, like, positive, aggressive energy. He's likely to get a cough. If I'm kind of thinking about what happens in these books, like, maybe he goes out and plays Quidditch and develops a cough because it's shitty weather or something. Mm -hmm. But... Obviously, you know, Quidditch isn't a famous book. I'm, like, making assumptions and stuff of what these could come from to make them actually realistic. I'm actually doing their homework for them. (laughs) Because, like...
1: Well, I mean, they're not really doing their homework very well, so...
0: They talked about all of these, like, different, like, equations and stuff that they have, like, written out. They definitely did the work... Of their chart, it seems like. Because they are, like, noticing these different ties and mentioning planets and houses and stuff like that.
1: You don't think they're just making all of that up?
0: I don't know, necessarily. Clearly, at one point, they say, well, let's just start making it up. But they did all this work towards the honest way of it. Perhaps a normal thought process would be that they do all this work and this is what's in front of them. So then they are kind of looking down and trying to make sense of it rather than just like spouting complete nonsense.
1: Like they're giving themselves enough information to not look like it's completely made up.
0: Yeah, because I mean, there are some things. That's
1: an awesome tactic.
0: I mean, that I can relate. That would be the better way to do
1: it, I think, <laughs> rather than
0: just like completely making it up. You know, like they are at least also trying to appeal to Trelawney's, Flair for the unfortunate.
1: Yeah, she does quite enjoy that.
0: So because of that, I think they have some sort of tactic. Why not use, like, the alleged stuff that they figured out already, I guess. Yeah.
1: They're doing half the work, but it's still looking...
0: Yeah, which in theory, like, all they had to do then, I'm sure charting the fucking birth chart is the hard part. Right. And then making the, like, intuitions off of it are the easy parts, you know? Like, I'm just doing it based on what's in the book. So it'll be interesting, I think, because it divulges into such, like, ridiculousness about, like, being beheaded that there's nothing that really comes out of it some of those things like losing a treasured possession developing a cough whatever it might be
1: Bets and fights and things like that yeah Yeah.
0: like that seems a little bit more normal there is a brief mention of the twins kind of conspiring about Mm -hmm. what is whatever they're
1: doing over there but we know later it's Mm -hmm. about luda bagman
0: Hermione then comes in and we learn about SPEW. And she's so very, like, excited and passionate in this moment. Like, you can tell that she, like, almost can't even contain herself. Yeah. She's very quickly thinking through all of this and saying, like, well, this is what we do. This is what our mission is. We have these things. She appoints them very haphazardly. I think because... It has her typical passion, but it's being done in such a frantic way. Yeah. This is where you start to see like, okay, she isn't as solid in this as she typically is.
1: I think there's something to be said about people who put a lot of work into the thing that they're excited about, but their presentation is not solid. She knows what she wants. She's excited about it. She's done on this research. And she's bursting at the seams to share this information. And these are her friends, but she hasn't thought beyond that. She knows what her goal is, Mm -hmm. she knows all the work she's done, and then there's this gap in the middle of the work that needs to take us from A to C. It's not that she hasn't thought about it, but she has all this excitement because she's done all this work. I don't know that it's because she's not good enough at this. I think that there's a lot to be said about the work she's done. But the presentation suffers one because she's chosen the wrong audience and two she hasn't really thought through that center part of it.
0: Yeah I think she's very capable. Taking in consideration actual reality and her perspective on it there is something to be said about everybody telling her that this is just how house elves are right? and that they don't typically want to be like treated with the same respects that Hermione is trying to get them. So I think that that is like the crux of it in that she has kind of followed her typical process that she usually does and if it were different maybe she would already have her strategy but it's not completely thought out in a way that she hasn't seen before it's similar perhaps to divination you know maybe it's not a coincidence that ron and harry were just doing their divination homework and they're kind of bullshitting at it and there's this thing then hermione comes in and she is also falling short oh okay i really like it's showing a space of weakness with hermione that we really have not seen for a while you know like i even almost think back to all the stuff with the troll. Of course, she did get perpetrified in book two. But that was a case of wrong place, wrong time, more than anything. Mm-hmm. But this is an area where we could stand to maybe see some more vulnerability with Hermione. So this will, of course, continue to grow and divulge. The last thing in the chapter is that Hedwig finally returns. Yes! The letter comes back and... It's like, oh my god, this is another one of the signs that Dumbledore was talking about, which is interesting.
1: I am enjoying that reminder that Dumbledore is kind of omniscient about this. I'm
0: surprised that nobody mentioned this. Hermione or Harry or
1: Ron weren't like,
0: well, clearly there's some sort of like connection here between Sirius Black and Dumbledore.
1: Dumbledore is the only other adult who knows that Sirius is good. Well,
0: yeah. Besides Lupin. It also indicates that they've been communicating in some way.
1: I think that the focus is Harry's response, though. I think Harry is now being like, ugh, I screwed this up. Which is interesting foreshadowing the next book and how Harry acts so irrationally when it comes to Sirius and also just kind of shows how Harry responds to these kind of things. This whole series is about him and a lot of times it's about how other people will make sacrifices for him mostly because Dumbledore's kind of dictated it from the beginning and Harry when he's left to his own devices his usually poorly organized thoughts are to protect everyone. And so rather than Harry being like, Sirius can handle himself, he fucking got out of Azkaban, I can go to Dumbledore, reveling in that comfort, he can go to Dumbledore. He's like, oh no, I fucked up. And my decision to tell my godfather about something that I should be able to talk to my godfather about is now putting him in danger. And that's kind of the direction harry goes when he's worried about something because he instantly is like how can i not fuck this up it's a little bit of a connection to the kind of person that would come out of the abusive childhood he has you know who's like oh concerned maybe? about bothering other people making people be inconvenienced hurting them with something that ultimately is not that big of a deal i can't believe you know how like some people are just you know. I mean, oh yeah, we like
0: all overthinker of Yeah, and
1: he is an overthinker who is not often shown in this light. Prior to this, he's not. Like, here we get this book and the next book, and you're like, Harry feels responsible for potential bad things, versus understanding that he's just part of this plot plan that Dumbledore has put together. Mm-hmm. So again, this is all more about the next couple books, but this is a fascinating thing that Harry's immediate reaction is, telling my godfather something that should have been harmless and informational and being like hey just want you to know because you're the only adult i see in my life as a parental figure right now mm. in that regard and that's part of what you would be able to do with a godparent his immediate response is oh fuck i shouldn't have told him a thing that yeah. i could have told it's
0: him it's a little bit of like control where control isn't necessarily warranted for sure it's assuming that serious isn't going to do the right thing which is
1: that's kind of a relevant unwield- thought but
0: well it's unwieldy it's I still don't think that we've seen that Sirius makes bad decisions or anything, but there's a lot of assumptions there. And yeah, I think that maybe perhaps coming from the background and the control and a little bit of awareness that all of these things now, he's in his fourth year and things are kind of revolving around him. That's how the chapter ends. He goes to sleep.
1: Yeah, he goes to sleep. Um, I do appreciate this final little section that Harry is laying awake because he's concerned about Sirius. And also, the dormitory was completely silent, and had he been less preoccupied, Harry would have realized that the absence of Neville's usual snores meant he was not the only one lying awake. Um, so again, just another little, like, tidbit about Neville, and I think that we are definitely primed for keeping an eye on what Neville is about. Still, I don't think prepares us for the reveal that we get. Mm -hmm. I think that the reveal is pretty big.
0: Well, let's get into Fuck, Mary Kill, Do you know what I'm going to pick?
1: I don't.
0: I feel like it's a little obvious. Okay. Imperius Cruciatus of Atta Oh,
1: okay. Well, there's that. I definitely believe there are things worse than death. So, I'm going to go with I'm going to kill Cruciatus' Curse. Mm -hmm.
0: Because it involves your bae?
1: No, but that also is a good reason to add on to it. Yeah. Torturing people. Even, like, the worst people, I feel like torture is just so uncomfortable with it. I'm gonna marry the Imperious Curse. Okay. Yeah, and then I'm gonna use it on my spouse if they piss me off. I'm just kidding. I don't think I would be. On the Fort Anglia? We use it on the Fort I Anglia. I mean, I
0: think you might have to in order <laughs> to make him fly. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'd marry the Imperious Curse. I think that, as we see in a couple books, it serves a purpose. I still don't like it. I still don't think it's great. It's still unforgivable. Most times I want people to go to Azkaban, but I think that it serves a purpose in a couple books. And so I appreciate that enough to marry it.
0: And you're going to fuck Avada Yeah,
1: I am. What? I don't know. It's fun to say it incorrectly in Puffs. Oh. Avada Baba.
0: I'm going to also marry Imperius because... While it can be dangerous and everything, yeah, it's just the easiest one to do that too. Like I see a reason behind like fucking about a cadaver at least not because it's like fun to pronounce, but like I don't know there's something like kinky and dangerous about it. While yeah, there's some things worse than death, I don't think I'm gonna be able to fuck about a cadaver.
1: okay.
0: Like, I don't fuck with that. I don't fuck with killing people. I might make a lot of jokes about it, but... So I'm gonna kill Avada Kedavra. I feel like that's just...
1: Yeah. It's obvious
0: to me. I'm gonna Avada Kedavra it.
1: You're gonna Avada Kedavra Which Avada. is very ironic.
0: So, like, by default, maybe I have to fuck Cruciatus.
1: Listen, it's kinky to like pain during sex. That's fine.
0: Yeah, I don't really like any of that. Any of those <laughs> words that you said. So... <laughs> no. This is definitely a hard one. But yes, I'm like... It is. Very clearly. My fuck, marry, kill has to be Imperius. Krishatis, oh, though. God, yes. So, I'm going to kill Avada Kedavra. I'm going to marry Imperius. And I'm going to fuck Grishadis. We all have to make choices. You know that quote that Dumbledore says, the choices are more important than what we do.
1: Something like that. Movie. I already mentioned it before. I actually really enjoy this scene.
0: I think so, too. This is one of the the strong points of the movie. Yeah, we definitely, like, talked a lot more about it through this discussion and even in, in our last episode. The shot when Hermione doesn't even want to say about a cadabra and he the, kills the spider.
1: And the way that it focuses on and Harry. Harry. The children do amazing acting in the mm-hmm. scene.
0: This is, like, an opportunity to show Harry is realizing like this is what happened to his parents because it can't actually be said the way that it is in the book.
1: And I already mentioned the moment that leaves me a little uncomfortable and breathless when he's like, what would you like me to do with her next? And he, you know, mentions drowning the spider. Yeah. And the idea of what the Curious Curse could do is something that's chilling to me. And I think that... What is his name? Moody? No, the actor who plays him. But that guy. He's great. I'm sorry, I don't know your name. The way he does that is awesome, but in the same time there's a little bit of, and they do it with that fucking him drinking out of the hip flask thing, too. When he does the only one person is known to survive it and they're sitting right in this room, that delivery has some suspiciousness to it versus the, like, Absolute forwardness of the curious curse. How he delivers that, and how serious it is, and how much it feels like that is Moody. But then when he looks at Harry, and the way that it's set up in the movie with this scene between the two of them, when he's saying only one person has been known to survive it, mm-hmm. and he's sitting in this room,
0: and then that's when he also chooses. To and
1: take then a he drink fucking takes a drink of yeah. the goddamn thing. That's what I'm saying that's about like so suspicious in the movie.
0: They make up for. Fucking with the entire timeline of things by making him more suspicious. Yeah. And when I say they make up for it, that is meant in a very loosey goosey way, for sure. It's more
1: like they're using that as a way, not that it's successful. Yeah. So there's (laughs) that.
0: And then to go back to what you were talking about, the Imperious Curse, I think because in the book it's much more like, well, you guys are going to laugh at that. That is done in a more, like, effortless way where he's just like, oh, look, it's so fun. The spider's going from person to person. Oh, look what else I can do. Now how do you feel about that, you little fuckers? Stop laughing. Yeah, overall, this is one of the more successful scenes, I think. There is a little scene that, even though it really is Hermione being like, fuck Moody, and then Moody comes up behind him. Where they're she's, pushing like, Neville. she's like,
1: they're literally walking by Neville, and she's like, do you see Neville's face? And he's right there. And yeah. Harry's like, uh, bitch, what? She- and they're
0: in, like, an echoing, like, stairwell.
1: I don't love that they have this... Ha- because in the book, they do have... Neville kind of, like, goes down an abandoned hallway to kind of get away from people. And in the movie, they just have him kind of standing there to the side. Like, everyone was in that class. Sure. They could all see him there. I don't I like. like I like that the trio go looking for him because they're concerned.
0: Okay, the like, that makes sense from the trio's point of view, but... In terms of, like, Neville's reaction and, like, if he is really, like, feeling something from this, it feels like he is just kind of wandering and caught in thought and not really even thinking about, like, what he's doing. Yeah. So from that point of view, I actually like it. I think that it is maybe even a little bit more realistic than him.
1: For Neville, yes. For the trio... I like that they go looking for him. I like the showing that of their sense. concern.
0: But I don't think this is not a moment to show their concern. I think this is more of a yeah. The way that the movie does it, I appreciate it a little bit
1: more. I don't hate it, but I, I don't love it either. Because also they just have all these other students walking by. This student is clearly upset. And we just see 20 other Gryffindors just being like, fuck that guy. But that's
0: how it is sometimes. People feel feelings. And sometimes you have to do it in like a public space. And people aren't recognizing that like i don't know i feel like this feels a little bit more slice of life to me okay the stuff in the common room obviously does not happen but we do see this very little scene that again is later on it's after all the tri-wizard cup kind of stuff he's in the owry and it's not even Hedrick that comes He's like...
1: Some angry bird with one eye. But
0: yeah, that but like bites him and stuff and he's like, it's very rude. I couldn't send Hedwig because it's too dangerous. Come meet me up in the fire.
1: I honestly feel like the point about not sending Hedwig is actually important. But they like skip all of this. I don't even think Harry writes the letter in the movie. He thinks so that Sirius is too. just like, hey what up bitch I'm gonna meet you in the fire. And that's, that's how the movie goes. But
0: why is it too suspicious to send Hedwig when There actually isn't necessarily the connection of Harry sending something to Sirius. Nobody would expect that Harry would use Hedwig to send something to Sirius. Like, they're not tracking Hedwig at this point, I don't think, anyways.
1: I don't think they are either.
0: So, I think that was maybe, like, a dumb move for them. It seems very, very strange to me. Because then, of course, they switch right into, like, Firehead It feels to me like perhaps what Firehead scene is going to look like. Maybe. Maybe I'll feel differently. They were like, oh, well, there's this little side side plot with Sirius. This is probably important. We should probably cut this like we do most other things in this book. Let's jerry-rig it to make it seem like something else and just, like, half-ass it hmm That's my opinion. I think it's done very, very lazily. Hey, it is what it is in this particular chapter. They put all their effort into the scene with Moody, which is probably
1: fine. That particular scene is very well done. Again, I, I said this earlier in the episode, I think that there's some really great work in this scene. That being said, that's maybe one of the few moments in the movie that I like.
0: Yeah. For sure, we'll see what else transpires. But a lot I'm just thinking of other transpires. things in the future. That is a lot of bullshit. Yeah all right so no surprise here i'm giving 20 to neville for obvious reasons like this is where his plot really shines in terms of his story and everything and it begins to kind of unfold like what he's gone through plus 15 to moody so again similar to what i said in the last episode these are for moody not for pretty crouch jr yes it's one of the same but like the way that he teaches is so matter of fact and i think Just, Barty Crouch Jr. is so good at portraying him that it needs to not go unnoticed, I think. So I'm getting 15 Mm -hmm. points there. I'm giving 10 points to Harry because of the same reason, like, him going through all this the same way that Neville is... To a degree, you could say that Harry has, like, kind of been dealing with the death of his parents more, whereas this is kind of, like, a little bit more of a bombshell to Neville, I think. Also, I'm docking him a little bit for his, like, hastiness at the end of the chapter, so he only gets ten. And then I'm giving five points to Professor Sprout for acknowledging that Neville is good at Herbology. plus five to Hermione for, I think, at least her conviction at this point. That's pretty much it, because I think that we are starting to see some weaknesses in her strategy that perhaps she will lose points for in the future or not get any points at all. But I still think that there is a level of conviction and, like, pride at this point. And I'm giving five to Hedwig, as well as Hedwig.
1: Yeah, Hedwig.
0: And I'm not taking any points away. Nice. Yeah, I don't really think that there's anyone in this particular chapter who needs them taken away. You could maybe make little arguments here and there, but I don't think that there's anyone particularly worth taking points away. So that's 20 Neville, 15 Moody, 10 Harry, 5 Sprout, Hermione, Hedwig. That's everything. Very nice. I'm very tired.
1: Me too. And I have to drive home. Oh, that part makes me sad. Yeah.
0: Next time, we're going to be reading chapter 15, which is Bobaton and Durmstrang. It is. That one I definitely remember for once. Yeah. And I'm tired.
1: Poof. What the heck?
0: So finally, like, we've already seen multiple things about Boboton and Durmstrang in the movie by this point. Time to finally actually meet these
1: motherfuckers. Finally.
0: Yeah, I'm actually really excited about this. We took a little bit of a vacation from Tri Wizard Tournament to like learn more about Moody, so now we're back.
1: We're going to be going non-stop. I feel like once the Wizard Tournament kicks off, it's just go.
0: Yeah, it's like the moment at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban where it's like, Oh, Shrieking Shack, sure here we go. What here we go. Next time, t- we won't actually have our special guest yet, but I imagine we'll probably have a thing from our special guest, Brian Jackson.
1: Yes, Brian Jackson will be featured at least a little bit on the next episode.
0: He's going to read probably your thing.
1: Yeah, we'll figure that out. But Brian O'Jackson Jackson will be featured on the next two episodes because he's awesome and we love him.
0: Yeah. So our first of many special guests this season. Yes. That's it. I would uh, serenade you again to take us out of this episode. That was nice. Oh, you want thanks. Again? I'm not doing it again.
1: So, y'all, if you want to hear Adam serenade us again, uh, pay, uh, pay me! Rewind to the beginning of the episode. Rewind to
0: the beginning or pay me, and I'll do it for just you. I'll make it a special. Subscribe to our Patreon. Should we do a Patreon? Would you give us money if we did a Patreon? Probably, a, probably not. Tell us. <laughs> or you just send us wine. That's the same thing. We like wine what are we going to do text, with that Patreon snacks, money? Buy wine. wine.
1: Good night. Buy
0: wine, buy you people. Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery, edited by me, Adam Bowers,
1: and published by me, Tara Corkery, and available wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Thank you for listening. Please review and rate us five stars on your app of choice, and be sure to share us to all of your other friends who love
1: Harry Potter and getting drunk. Oh, don't forget to follow us on social media. Sometimes I update that. Basic Snitches on Instagram. Also, we have a Facebook page. And email us anything you want to or specifically answers to our questions on our segments. Snitches at gmail.com.
0: But don't send us dick pics, please. That's nasty.
1: But do send us liquor. Thanks. Yeah. Aloha, Mora. Oh, now people can get into your house.
0: They're on their toe, but they don't matter because
1: now you're a water goblin. Bye. Bye.